BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, Brian, how are you? Uh, long time voice. no speak. Yeah. I know. How are you? Doing well. You still uh, in sitting? Yes. How about you? Nice. Uh, yeah, well, I live on the Jersey side, but yes, yes, still in, in the area. Well, hopefully, hopefully our paths will cross again sometime soon. Maybe we'll find out about that tonight. Oh, <laughs> cool. Uh, okay. So I think I'll just like kick us off and get us started because sure. we've got tons to talk about. Um, and anyways, I feel like this has been a long time in coming. So welcome everybody to the Tech Meme Ride Home Experience. My name is Chris Messina. I'm joined by my co-host, Brian McCullough. Um, and today we are joined by an old friend of mine, Mike Mignano, um, who was the co-founder of Anchor, which was acquired in 2019 by Spotify. And it's funny, I was actually going through some of the old clippings on Tech Meme, of course. Um, there was a great <laughs> story by Peter Kafka kind of um, talking about the, the acquisition and why Daniel Eck uh, was interested in acquiring it and essentially said, we're building a platform that provides a meaningful opportunity for creators, excites and engages our users, and builds the even more robust business model for Spotify in an industry we believe will become significantly larger when you add internet level monetization to it. And I think it's just, it's, you know, we're going to get into all of this, of course, but I think it's so relevant, I suppose, just for our conversation to, to sort of think back to what podcasting was, um, has been, is in the process of becoming. And, you know, Mike, you've obviously been at the center of this and your work on Anchor yeah, the, the, has the, been the transformational. Beginning, so The beginning of Anchor, like, uh, because again, <laughs> being in this industry, like <laughs> the idea that there were startups in the podcast space. I, I, I'm old enough to remember that that seemed crazy and things like that. So, uh, <laughs> you know, Mike, uh, where did the idea for Anchor come from? Just tell us whatever about your background, and, and then we can get into, um, you know, how, how it all went down and, and, and your time at, at Spotify. Sure. Well, maybe just one quick warning. I don't have a mute button. I don't know, mm. maybe this new version that you mentioned Chris is like maybe huh. a little buggy, so I'm just going to warn you guys. Uh, <laughs> I won't be able to mute at any point. It's not at so, the bottom? There's not. Uh, so okay. where the yeah. mute button should be, it says request. Um, <laughs> oh, wow. You, you so, really are in a buggy version. Wow. Yeah. So it's like I amateur hour over there. You're All talking. Right. Yep. Okay. I'm, not, right. I'm not trying to be rude when you're talking. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you no know, I, I will say, so it's going to be like the three of us, so you don't need to worry. It's just we'll, we'll keep okay. it cool. But yeah, cool. Thanks right. for letting me know. Yeah, no worries, no worries. So, um, yeah, I mean, look, starting Anchor feels like an eternity ago. It actually, I mean, it wasn't that long ago, if you think about it. So we, we, we started working on it in 2014, the end of 2014. Wow, 2014. And, yeah. <laughs> okay, keep that's, going. Which, that, that's, that's, when I, that's when I started podcasting, by the way, February oh, 2014, wow. so there you go. I guess when I say it out loud, it does seem kind of like a long time ago, but... Um, you know, like Brian, you're like since the, you know you're like Mike Anchor was the beginning of podcasting, but it's but it's crazy. I mean, podcasting was went way further back than that, right? I mean, it really started with sure. the iPod and 
admittedly, like I, I wasn't a listener to podcasts back then. I really only became a listener kind of like when, I don't know, the, like the, everyone else did. I mean, uh, can I, can I, I give I, a shout out to, to the people in 2005 that were telling me about the Ricky Gervais podcast? Yeah, with Carl yeah, Pilkington. Yeah, but yeah. That's like literally the first time I ever heard about it. So 2005-ish, that's how far back. But I'm sure, you know, we could get, uh, uh, what's his face, um, uh, Dave Weiner on <laughs> to go yeah. all the way back, yeah. Yeah, I was not listening back then. Like, I, I probably didn't even, had never even heard the word. Um, and, you know, I'll, I'll admit it, like, I was one of the probably millions of people that, got into podcasts when serial came out and like, you know, I, I know that's yep, kind of cliche yep. to say, but it's the truth. You know, I heard, I heard somebody said, Hey, you got to listen to this thing serial. And I'm like, what the hell is this? And it kind of opened up my mind a little bit. I'm like, wow, there's this whole other medium for storytelling that I, I didn't really, I, I didn't know anything about. And, um, that was, you know, that, that sort of opened the door to the rabbit hole for me. I started listening to uh, a lot of, uh, I was big into sports, a lot of sports podcasts, podcasts about movies and TVs. I was really into like the Grantland network back then, which was Bill Simmons old yep, yep. Uh, network. Um, and so, so, so I was at a company at the time um, called aviary. Actually, I take that back. I was at a company called, which everyone knows called Adobe, which had just acquired aviary. I had run product at aviary and then um, that company got acquired by Adobe and a friend of mine near Zickerman and I were working at Adobe after getting acquired and we'd both gotten really into podcasts at the same time. And the, the whole thing at aviary was that company had started when photos had really started to take off on mobile phones, like Instagram had really taken off. And our whole thing was we wanted to make it really easy for people to take and edit and share photos. We had a photo editing SDK and this notion of sort of like democratizing creativity was very sort of top of mind for Nier and me, because that's kind of how we thought about the work we were doing at Aviary. And so as we started to get into podcasts, we were like, okay, clearly, you know, as this medium gets bigger and bigger, more and more people are going to want to create these things. Why is it so hard to create them? We, we had both sort of dabbled a little bit and poked around and tried to see how you did it. And, and Brian, you were one of the successful few that, uh, that put up with a lot of the hurdles. And I, I had mm. no patience for it. I was like, I don't want to buy gear and I don't want to learn audio editing software. I just want to be able to do it on my phone. And, uh, and, and that was kind of the inspiration for anchor near and I were like, well, why can't you just do audio on your phone? Basically in the, in the same way that you can post to Instagram. Exactly. Right. Yeah. And so that was, you know, a lot of people don't remember this or that, you know, they didn't know about anchor back then, but that was actually the original version of anchor. It was like, it was more like, Instagram for audio. It was a feed. It was like a vertical scroll. No, I totally remember that. Yeah. It was like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was uh turning. Yeah. Basically like audio, like sort of snippets, right. It was sort of like, uh, I mean a very similar, like, exactly. it's, I guess it's so interesting now to think about spaces and the social audio boom and how, what they've added really is just synchronicity. Whereas before it was essentially exactly. voice notes as a social network. But, it, exactly but it is, right. it is also the ability to hit a button and, start broadcasting like again sure. to to give uh mike and anchor credit like that's what they saw um at the very beginning which was the insight that i i, I still believe i think this is true that um 
uh, uh, anchor launches. What what's what's the terminology? I should uh, uh, most new podcasts happen on Anchor right now, or something like that. I can't remember what what the the metric is. Yeah, it's it's like a crazy amount. I mean, you know, uh, yeah, you could you could look it up in probably Spotify's recent investor day with the what the what the stat was, right. but it is by far the vast majority. And I think I think what you're getting at, Brian, is it's because it's easy, right? It's like yeah. If you want to talk, you just have the button rather than, you know, again, get the expensive mic to do, do that whole thing. And so, you know, I think like we, we had that insight, but we, I don't think we, we knew the right way to act on it. You know, or we were like, oh, it should be a social network. <laughs> like such a, such a naive and basic thought was like, everything's a social network in 2014, 2015, you know, why, why shouldn't audio just be a social network? And the cool thing was, and you know, Chris, you, you, you said you remember it. I mean, you know, there were a lot of people coming into it. There was definitely interest. Like people wanted to record, which was blew our minds, by the way. Like we, we actually, we had no expectations. We had never built anything before. We had never launched anything by ourselves. Um, so people were using it, but the problem was, which was very, very obvious almost immediately was that the quality was terrible. Like, we were forcing people to record effectively voice memos. They were two minutes long. Um, there was no, you know, there were no tools. Uh, it was really, you know, it was really hard to sort of like drill down into specific topics. And so it was just a horrible listening experience. It was like very fascinating at first as almost a social experiment, but it wasn't a good listening experience. And so despite this sort of initial wave of excitement, it kind of stopped working very, very quickly. Like, you know, eight weeks, let's call it. Wow. Mm-hmm. And so that was sort of like this first insight we had where we're like, okay, well, it's not enough just to give people a, a button to talk. You actually have to help them sound good. And, um, so we, we actually scrapped that app. Like we, we spent all this, we spent over a year building it and then we realized it wasn't going to work. And, you know, it was a little bit of a, of a different environment back then. I mean, I'm sure you guys, you guys, I'm sure know that, you know, the past two years and sort of like the venture landscape, it's like not, it hadn't been hard. It hasn't been hard. Well, up until recently, it hasn't been hard to raise money, like mm-hmm. sort of this like infinite pool of venture capital. But back then, I mean, it was scary. Like if your product wasn't working and you hadn't found product market fit, it was like, damn, we're going to run out of money if we don't fix this. Mm-hmm. And then the company would be over. So we, we literally just like took that first version of Anchor and scrapped it. And went back to the drawing board. Right, how big was the um, team that was working on this? It's probably like five of us. Okay. Mm-hmm. And where, where were you yeah. guys based? All in New York. Interesting. Um, right. Actually, we had huh. one person that was remote, but one one block away from my from my therapist's office. Which, <laughs> by the way, I, I need to oh, interject. Yeah. I need to interject real quick. If longtime listeners will remember, um, <clears throat> uh, we were on Anchor. For a period of time, um, because uh, MG Siegler emailed me one day and was like, "Hey Brian, go talk to these guys that I've invested in." Uh, I came in, uh, talked to to Mike, and I think Nir was there too. I, I don't, I, re- I don't remember, but um, so yes, uh, I, I'm I'm eternally grateful for uh, you guys helping the tech meme uh, ride home out early on when we needed to <laughs> to get. Uh, to, to fill some ad inventory, and so hopefully we helped you out too at a at a, at a key time. But um, yeah, no, you, you did, and I appreciate it. I mean, yeah, you were 
the Tech Meme podcast on Anchor back then was honestly probably one of the bigger shows we had that early on. And yeah, it was definitely validating for us and helpful to be able to say, hey, you know, the Tech Meme podcast is on here and stuff. So likewise, thank you, Brian, for, for taking a shot at, uh, on us. Um, and yeah, so we were right in New York. There were about five of us. I think one person may have been remote, five, seven. I don't remember exactly how many, but on that order of magnitude. And um, we scrapped the app, and we started investing in tools. So uh, tools to add background music, tools to add sound effects, tools to you know patch in friends that you might want to talk to remotely like we're doing right now in Spaces, um, all sorts of things. But it was still a social app. And I should also mention we weren't even calling them podcasts at this point. Like this was we're we had our own proprietary format. Mm. Like this was our own thing. Um, because again, we loved podcasts, but we thought that they were like hard and heavy and they, they had baggage, or at least that's what we felt at the time. I mean, that you were wrong. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I think what we realized was there was just, or what we didn't realize at the time, I should say, is there's so much momentum to mm. podcasts at that, at that moment. I mean, you know, to, to the, let's think about what you, how you started the, the beginning of this talk, like podcast. Wow. Like podcasts are this gigantic thing. We were talking about how 2014, you know, they were nothing or whatever they were. It was so, so small. Just yep. think about like how far it's come. Um, well, but it's, it's, it's also like, think of, think of, I mean, people becoming, um, TikTok influencers or TikTok makes it easy. This is actually, this is the point I want to make. Like if you want to become a, a, do a, a good YouTube channel, there's even more that you have to get good at than podcasting, right? But what the what the point is for all of this like creator economy stuff is that if you give people the tools to be good at it, which is sort of what TikTok does, there's that cliche that I've said on the show before that like TikTok is not just a social network. It's like the the best free version of Adobe that exists, you know? Totally. <laughs> yeah. Totally. It's so true. Um yeah, you have to give people good tools. And actually, that's like, back to my point about like launching the second version of Anchor with tools. I mean, it was literally overnight. We launched that thing and boom, the content was better. Like just immediately night and day difference between the first version of Anchor and the second version of Anchor. Like they, they sounded real. They sounded, sounded like people were doing really interesting things. But the reality was they were, they were just doing this on their phone. They didn't have a studio. They didn't know audio editing software. Um, so that was really cool. That was the first time where, I think we learned that we could sort of, you know, sort of take an insight from being out in the market and iterate and react and put ourselves in a, you know, maybe one step closer to let's call it product market fit. Um, but even in that version, we, we, we didn't find it. We didn't find the elusive product market fit because then the problem was everyone was like, Oh, these are podcasts. Like what I'm listening to is a podcast. What I'm creating as a creator instead of anchor is a podcast. But if you remember, I said there, they weren't podcasts. You had to download anchor to listen to them. And nobody wanted to do that. Everyone was like, well, why am I going to download this other app to listen to this thing? Um, you know, this one podcast when I could listen to every podcast in the world over at Spotify and over at Apple, uh, this is silly. And so once again, wait, 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 wait. but how much, how much support did Spotify have for podcasts at that point? They were getting started. Um, mm -hmm. But I think my point was generally just like there were there were big apps out there. Let's sure, take, sure, let's say sure. Apple Podcasts right. where 
they had every every show. Yeah. Okay. And we're like, hey, come to Anchor to listen to this one show or these like <laughs> fifty shows, you know? Um, like the Justin Bieber app to like get the Justin Bieber podcast. Yeah, exactly. So that's when we were like, okay, clearly there's some momentum to this podcast thing. Maybe we actually just built a really, really compelling podcast creation tool. Maybe we should just find a way to get all this content on Apple and on Spotify. And so we, we, we kind of like pivoted again. I, we didn't scrap the whole thing this time because everything we built was actually usable, but we rushed to build a web app. Um, we rushed to figure out, well, th- this is the, the sort of real magic was we rushed to figure out how to do distribution, like how we could take somebody's show that they made an anchor. How do we turn it into an RSS feed? Like, how do we like put it into the standard of podcasts and get it up on, on Apple and all these places really, really quickly and easily without the user having to know how to do any of that stuff. And once we did that, that's when things really started taking off and people started, started seeing that, Oh my God, I could, I could make a podcast, tap a button and be on Apple like in five minutes. That's special. I'm, I'm curious, uh, you know, again, this is sort of like, uh, I'm sure it's all a blur, but when, when Spotify comes calling, um, how clear to you initially is this them poking around in the podcasting space or when they showed up, I've heard from other people when they showed up, it was clear immediately that this was something they were going all in on. Is, is that how your experience was when you started talking to them? Maybe I can answer the question sort of like more, more generally with when my experience, the way these things Mm. go is, and, and, and my experience with Spotify was, was like this as well as like, you know, when you, let's use the example of like hiring someone, like when you're, when you're building a company and you go to hire someone, you, you, you try to spend as much time as, at least as you can making sure they're the right fit. You know, likewise, they're making sure that the company is the right fit for them. You're not just, you know, responding to a job. And then I'm looking at your resume and saying, okay, this person's a fit. Let's hire them on the spot. Right. And I, and I think like with acquisitions, and really with like fundraising as well, I would say any sort of like meaningful corporate transaction when you're building a company, th- these things take a long time. And so, you know, in, in the example of Spotify, I, you know, I was fortunate to be able to build the relationship with them over honestly many years. Um, sure. You know, I met, I met Daniel briefly after the first version of Anchor launched. Um, and I, I think I've, I think I've told the story before, but like literally right after, the first version of anchor launched, he reached out and said, Hey, this is cool. Like, let's talk about products. And I think that's, I think that was how the first time we met, like we were just meeting the, you know, two product nerds just jamming on, on product. <laughs> and, um, and so we had a number of interactions with them over the years. Um, and I think when we, when we ended up selling to them, I think it was, it was more, it was more that it, it really made sense for both of us at the same time. Like we had already done, we'd already laid the groundwork. We already had a deep understanding, I think, of what we all wanted to do uh, in audio and, and what we felt was important. And it was it was a lot more organic, I would say, than people maybe well may, maybe maybe think with these things. That's kind of that's 
kind of what I was hinting at because again, yeah. I can't I can't speak to other people that I know that have been acquired by Anchor. But the difference is, you know, like I've talked to other people in the industry before, and it was all like radio guys. I I, I make and I'm saying this pejoratively. The radio guys come in and they're going to tell you how radio works and things like that. And and the people that have that I know that have dealt with Spotify, they're like, no we knew right away this was different that they had this sort of expansive sense of sort of what you're talking about where it's like um it's not just that they wanted to own audio because that was their thing <laughs> they wanted to own your ears and 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 the app on your phone that goes into your ears and things like that but it was also that it wasn't like the radio guys that were just like telling you how things were <laughs> Like it, 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 everyone told me that that Spotify always came in and felt more like they were a Silicon Valley company, like a tech company versus a media company. Did you did you feel that way too? I don't know that I uh, necessarily can compare. Like I, I don't I don't maybe I just don't have enough exposure to like traditional media companies to to know. But I guess what I can tell you is like you know when you have a startup. The, the thing that drives you is your mission, right? It's, it's gotta be because you have to, you almost have to make, you almost have to make the whole, everything you're doing like so crazy and aspirational for it to actually work. Like you can, you can't start a company and be like, Hey, I want to build, I want to build this product and have a million users. Like that's just not aspirational enough to motivate you to, to, to grind the way you have to, to actually like, you have to sit, you have to wake up every morning and be like, I literally want to democratize audio for every single person in the world. Like it has to be that almost that insane and that audacious. And I think we, you know, what, what surprised me about Spotify was when, you know, the more and more I got to know them. And by the way, like we're a 20 person company at the time and we're chasing this big audacious mission. And they're a, I don't know, I forget what they were, maybe a 5,000 person company. And I felt that same level of ambition and um, and hopefulness for you know the future of audio that that we were feeling as a tiny tiny upstart, and that was that was really inspiring to me. That was really cool. It was like, oh, this actually isn't some big corporate entity. This is just a group of people that also you know want to help shape the future of audio and have a very specific vision. In Spotify's case, around you know helping a million creators to live off their art and you know, and, and everything their mission speaks to, I, I felt that genuinely. And I think that's, that's why I was excited. I, I don't know if that answers your question. I, it, it, again, it, I, it, it, it rhymes with what I've heard. Right. Because it, yeah. it, it felt like as opposed to, Oh, we're going to, I'm not going to name any corporate names, but we're going <laughs> to, we're going to acquire you and fold you into what we've been doing at audio for 70 years. You know? like, yeah. uh, they Spotify always felt like, no, we're, cutting edge we're 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 still the startup mindset and and that's why it was very attractive to folks that i know yeah yeah and 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 to, to be honest like it was an it was it, it was an awesome company to work for like i i have nothing but great things to say about spotify as a company about a culture um yeah it was it was a great you know and look I, it's hard, it's hard to know what what could have been if we didn't get acquired by Spotify. But you know what? Can I can I give you the the analogy that someone told me is sure. that um, that it, it, it when when radio people acquired friends of mine that were in the podcast space 
it felt to them like, well, this is a fad. We're checking a box to make mm. sure that we're uh, on the cutting edge. Okay, uh, you know, so so our, our our CEO can't yell at us for not being on the cutting edge or whatever. Versus Spotify <laughs> actually having the vision that you know we're going to where uh, the future of audio is going to be. So yeah, yeah, that 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 that, that sounds that sounds right to me. Um, so yeah, I mean that was that was basically so. Like I said, we we sort of we pivoted to this, this 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 basically a podcasting platform as opposed to this you know this social network for audio that really resonated. That seemed to work, and um, and it was a lot of fun. I mean, because once once we sort of became one of the bigger podcasting platforms, um, and this is even before we sold to Spotify, we could start to do things that hadn't really been tried before, which was fun. Um, and I, you know, still to this day, I find inspiring. Um, I'll give you an example and Brian, maybe you can relate to this. Actually, I think you used this product really early on. I think, I think I, yeah, mixed results, but I think you, I think you recognize the potential of it before we got acquired and, mm-hmm. and it, like, so, okay. So podcasting is based for, for in, in many ways on a standard, right? That standard being RSS, um, standards are amazing because if you adopt a stand, if you're building a product and you adopt a standard to power your product, you're basically like accelerating your product development. Like in the case of building a podcast app, if you build a player and ingest RSS, boom, you've already solved the supply side of your business. You get to pull every podcast in the world into your app, um, just by accepting the standard of RSS. But the downside of standards is it creates a tremendous amount of fragmentation in the market because it lowers the barrier to building a product. So what you end up with is, you know, a thousand different podcast apps, which I'm sure you guys can identify with. I mean, you know, you both know about podcasting. There are a lot of podcasts. Oh, yes, out there, there right? are. Like, mm-hmm. It's sort of like building a notes app. It's like a rite of passage. Yeah, exactly. And so, but that, that creates a bit of a problem because that means that there isn't sort of like, when you're building with a standard and now you've got all these different products and you've got all this fragmentation, it's hard to build products that benefit and services that benefit from economies of scale. So with anchor, when we started to amass, you know, a lot of creators in the platform, we actually could for the first time be like, Oh, well maybe we can actually offer like a scaled ads platform for creators where creators can now, because they're part of this network, because we can take this network and bring it to advertisers, we can start to offer, ads to, to creators. And, um, and so we did that and, and that was really cool. That was, that was a lot of fun. And that was, no, wait, wait. I, I want you to unpack this because ads and podcasting, it, it, there's a little bit of like oil and water or, you know, it could be vinegar depending on your preference. Oh, I, I, I remember, I remember going in to meet Mike the first time and being like, uh, I know what you want to do. You want to do ad <laughs> AdSense for podcasting, don't you? Everybody wants to do AdSense for podcasting and please do it sooner rather than later. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so, so just to be yeah, clear though, exactly. my, my, my question is, is a little bit about the flavors, I suppose, of podcasting oh, ads, okay. you know, one where it's, you know, read by the, the, the speakers, the people who are yeah. actually doing the, the mm, show mm. versus ads that are of course pre-recorded you know, by anybody randomly and inserted. What do you guys do? If you don't mind me asking. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you ka-ching. 
Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did-we-just-hit-a-million-orders stage. Shopify's there to help you grow, whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits. Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify transformed ResumeWriters.com from the spaghetti code backend I cobbled together in college to the world-class commerce platform it sits on today. And Shopify can do the same for your business. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash ride, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash ride now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash ride. When you go through airport security, there's one line where the TSA agent checks your ID and another line where a machine scans your bag. The same thing happens in enterprise security, but instead of passengers and luggage, it's end users and their devices. These days, most companies are pretty good at the first part of the equation where they check user identity, but user devices can roll right through authentication without getting inspected at all. In fact, 47% of companies allow unmanaged, untrusted devices to access their data. That means an employee can log in from a laptop laptop that's had its firewall turned off and hasn't been updated in six months or worse, that laptop might belong to a bad actor using employee credentials. Collide finally solves the device trust problem. Collide ensures that no device can log into your Okta-protected apps unless it passes your security checks. Plus, you can use Collide on devices without MDM, like your Linux fleet, contractor devices, and every BYOD phone and laptop in your company. Visit collide.com slash ride to watch a demo and see how it works. That's K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash ride. Uh, I still do, I still do uh, host red. I mean, yep. programmatic, it. It, 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 all, it all depends. Like, what, what we're really You've talking done about some programmatic. high level. Yeah. It, yeah. It is is programmatic would mean things are are sold on an exchange and like it's it's right. sort of like a uh, uh, an auction sort of thing and then like the, the host doesn't even know. At, at least for me, uh, I, I'm working with a network for seventy percent of our ads, but it's still like it is still hand held and hand sold. So yeah, I, I mean, you, I, I, I guess I want to yeah. like add add some again some flavor some context for this because you know podcast was um and even to this day to some degree still is one of the areas that is kind of i don't want to say the least commercialized because obviously it's become very commercial but kind of like when spotify acquired anchor it was like a big kind of like oh shit like now this content which has been sort of like from you know of the free and open web where everyone just publishes you know out yeah, of the generosity see, what, of their hearts now is going to become what you're grasping at is mm-hmm. like so the way that ads are sold digitally is is has been since like 2008 2010 is again it's all of these sort of algorithmic programmatic exchanges and at least for me and maybe I'm not the biggest podcast in the world. And certainly what, hey, what I'm on that Spotify podcast. is doing is, is they're trying to get it to where it is that like, you don't have to do anything. You just have to put a little thing in your, in your show, like insert ad here. Um, but, but what, what, what you're, what you're grasping at is that 
podcasting, at least right now, is still largely handheld and like personal relationships and networks and things like that versus algorithms. And and maybe Mike has more insight on this than me. But well, I'm I'm, I'm teasing out a couple things here, right? So, like, and 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 again, I'm not trying to speak on behalf of Mike, but as an observer of Spotify, of the podcast space, of what Mike was doing at Anchor. You know, and also as someone who's worked in open standards, I feel the tension very deeply that he's describing, which is, of course, yeah. on the one hand, you want sort of, you know, podcast RSS to be consistent and to allow those, you know, millions of bespoke podcast apps to bloom. And on the other hand, you want to evolve the format and allow for new types of expression, new types of monetization, new types of ways for creators to support what they're doing in a way that might actually break or interrupt some of the consistency of those old formats. And so to me, like, I, you know, I, I remember, I, I'm pretty sure this happened. Um, although, you know, I, I have a lot of drinks when I go to South by Southwest, but I know Mike, you and I, met up, uh, I think yeah, I, we've hung there a few times. Yeah. And I, I don't remember, I think this might've been, you know, probably after the, the, the acquisition or something. Um, and, you know, I was probably, you know, saucy as I, as I sometimes get and it was like regaling. Well, regaling is probably a positive word. I was probably harassing you, um, with some sense of concern for the future direction of how this company would, you know, spend hundreds of millions of dollars on your company and then want to turn this tool that you'd created into a tool of, you know, commercialization and, and capitalism and therefore, you know, kind of ruin the format and the medium. And to your credit, I think, and to the sort of broader spaces credit, there's been an interesting just new set of dynamics in the space um, where there are a lot more people publishing audio content win. And then there's also a way for some people to, you know, make some kind of living from it. Uh, also kind of a win without it becoming completely horrible. Um, you know, in, in the way that sort of Google, let's say Google search results, for example, have been overtaken by advertising or sponsored content. It's a, it's a mix. It's not perfect, et cetera, but at least it moved things forward. And then you have other formats where you've evolved things with Q and a, for example, um, which is a, yeah. a feature within Spotify where a podcast host can uh, post essentially a poll or a question and kind of interact with their audience in a way that it's non-standard in uh, other podcasting apps. Right. So I guess uh, what I'm trying to get you to tease out is that tension between being compliant with the standard versus innovating and doing something new, right. And breaking from the sort of quote unquote tradition um, and, and, you know, doing that now with leverage, right. Cause you, now you work at Spotify. Well, I used to, but (laughs) (laughs) I'm talking about that moment in time though. Back then. I'm teasing. teasing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I mean, look, I, I don't, I don't want to speak on, on behalf of Spotify, obviously, because I'm not there anymore. But what I will say is like, you know, with Anchor, when we were doing Anchor, it was really important for us to help creators at scale. Like, it was literally in our mission to help help creators. And 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 I'll say, like, you know, Spotify is in their mission to help uh, a million creators live up their art. I think in both of those, there, there's this notion of scale and making sure that what you do is creator first and enables creator choice. And I actually think there is a way, you're right that there's a tension but I think there is a way to do both. And I'll give you a, what I think is a, a really good example of this, not related to podcasts at all, but is related to open standards. So SMS, the messaging standard, right? This is, this is like text messaging, yep. right? And totally. it, it was invented, it was invented in the eighties. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think it launched for the first time. I, I'm, I don't have the dates in front of me, but I want to say it's like the late nineties, right? 
then it goes through a period where it has to, because again, the standard it has to gain adoption from a bunch of different handset manufacturers and carriers. It finally gains adoption and scale, I think, in like the early two, either late 90s or early 2000s. Then, by the way, somebody gets the idea, oh, we want to add pictures. But again, once you have all this fragmentation, and the analogy here is the, the 10,000 different bespoke podcast apps, mm-hmm. it becomes really, really hard to do that because, you know, you have to go and you have to convince these 10,000 stakeholders. Um, but they eventually do it by launching a whole new standard called MMS, and that finally launches and gains scale and popularity, I want to say almost 10 years later. Um, so very, very slow product development life cycle, right? Then this amazing product gets launched. It's called the iPhone. And within it's like just a launched year yesterday, whatever, 15 years ago, right? Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Then the iPhone comes along 15 years ago to the day yesterday. Mm-hmm. And it's such a great product that virtually overnight, they have a critical mass of, of people on it. People on both sides that want to send and receive messages. And I think Apple did a really, really brilliant thing here, actually, where it where they basically, they broke away from the standard, right? Mm-hmm. They made their own thing, iMessage. Mm-hmm. Yep. And similar to your point about Q&A for, for Spotify, iMessage does all these crazy things, right? Mm-hmm. It does Memoji and audio notes and, I don't know, 10,000 other features that are completely incompatible with iMessage. Mm-hmm. But it does something really smart. You can still text someone on Android. And what happens when you text someone on Android, it actually falls back. To, to the green bubble SMS <laughs> and create the exactly. whole generation of shame. But yes, uh-huh. exactly. So <laughs> there's, there, there are probably like crazy things happening underneath the hood there where it's actually like defaulting mm. back to a different technology. And the person on the other side can't get that rich experience that let's say you and I can, if we both have iPhones. Um, but, but it is backwards compatible. And I think that's like a pretty decent analogy for, you know, when I think about podcasting and where it's going, um, how some of this stuff has worked out, right? Like there are all these great features that now exist, like the ones you mentioned, but it is still compatible with RSS. Like when you publish, even to this day, a podcast on Anchor, you're getting an RSS feed. It's going to all the other players. Um, it just might not be the same, Richard. Wait, okay. So, and, so I think I this is, yeah, this is part of the tension that I think is so useful to like, you know, have you talk about, right? Because on the one hand, you start out with Anchor as a tool that essentially publishes, you know, an open standard, you know, XML and RSS. Um, with to, to represent the podcast as an enclosure. And then you start to evolve the things that you can do with that media format. Right. And so it, just as your example suggests that Apple kind of uses the, the green bubble to manipulate people into wanting to get an iPhone to sort of, as you say, upgrade their experience in a similar way, you can imagine that if I'm distributing a podcast and I want to have that fan engagement that I need to actually use Spotify to get that level of fan engagement, even if the st- standard you know format supports it. So I guess my, my question is also, and, and again, I don't want to get too down the weeds in this because the, the product side, I think is actually a little bit more interesting to me, but the degree to which the things that you were uh, uh, publishing or innovating on at spot Spotify became sort of open open standards or extensions to the podcasting format to encourage others to adopt those uh, new forms of engagement. Yeah. I mean, I think at the end of the day, it was like, how do we, how do we continue to deliver on the original promise, which was like, we want to make this really, really easy for people and offer them broad distribution. But how do we also at the same time, like, make the format better. Like how can we actually push podcasting forward? Because there, there were a lot of limitations. I mean, we experienced, I mean, this is why we shifted to a tools business, right? Anger. I mean, 
we want, you know, think back to the first version. And then the second version, we make this new format, all these tools, like, wow, we built this really cool, like proprietary format, but oh, wait, nobody can consume it because it's not being distributed over RSS. So yeah, it's, it's a really, I don't know. It's a really interesting tension. I actually think, um, maybe we're getting a little bit ahead and a little off topic, but like, I think there's potentially a dynamic, uh, with web three that ties into this. Chris, you yeah, and I so we, we are, we are about to go this. there. We're about to go there and I am setting okay. this up, but I know Brian had something to jump okay. in on this and then we'll, we'll yeah, talk yeah, about let that. Me, cool. Okay. I, I'm not afraid to interject real quick. Not about products, but, but about the business, because there's a lot of podcasters that I know in, in the audience right now. Um, so let me just ask you this one real quick. Um, uh, okay. So like, there's somebody that I know that a few years ago were like, I, I, I want to become a influencer, um, a media brand. And they wanted to launch on YouTube. And I told them not to do it, do podcasting because you're under, you're, you're the captain of your own ship. And sure enough, this person is right now experiencing problems with the YouTube algorithm changing at the same time. Um, what they said to me three years ago was, well, Spotify is just going to do the same thing to audio that YouTube has done to video. And listen, I, I was, you know, early in blogging and I saw, you know, the, the, the ads, go to the basement, you know, where you used to be able to get the fact that I can still get $30 CPMs in, in podcasting is amazing to me, given what I saw, uh, happen to, to the, the, the ad rates on the open web and things like that. So what I'm trying to get at from a business perspective as a podcaster, how do you feel having worked at Spotify, having helped them sort of go in this direction? Do you feel like what you're talking about open standards, embracing open standards and things like that is Spotify in danger as podcasters. Are we in danger of them capturing the commons like has happened to other things uh, in the, the broader web or is podcasting and audio different? Um, I think that's a really hard question to answer because I think you're, you're sort of posing you're sort of posing that there are, there are only two answers, mm. you know, like you're like, is it, is it, yeah. is it are they doing this? Or are they doing I did this? only and give I you think, two options. <laughs> <laughs> and I actually think, um, like, like, you know, if I'm going to, if I were to look at YouTube, I, I can't, I can't say that it's black or white. Um, you know, I think that there are a lot of people out there, a lot of YouTubers that have, that have made a lot of money and have, have had their lives transformed by being sure. able to create on For YouTube. Sure. Um, that might be a whole other podcast episode. <laughs> that question. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so so okay, I, I yeah, let's I, switch mm-hmm. to Web three. Sorry, well, hold, hold on. Uh, okay. like, but I want to just like wrap up sort of the experience at Spotify because I feel like we sure. we've, we've dug into certainly the the early part and you know some of the the interesting tensions with some of the innovation around podcasting and i think like what i would love to understand a little bit more of is just kind of maybe just an insider view of spotify as a company it's one of those companies that a lot of people talk about but sort of as a media conglomerate because they don't quite know how to relate to some of the i don't know the culture or like it's hard for me to imagine what it's like to work at a place like spotify given that i suppose it's a little bit more like youtube in that it's closer to creators, it's closer to media, it's closer to culture. And so, you know, having worked at Google and then also 
you know, YouTube to be sort of, you know, down the road in um, San Bruno, um, the culture of Google was very different than YouTube. So what was it like for you coming yeah. from New York to go to Spotify, um, you know, to have come in through an acquisition, right? So you had your own kind of little mini culture and kind of entrepreneurship and then to join this larger thing. Um, you know, what, what was that transition like for you and sort of how did that change and evolve over the years um, while you were there? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, you know, back to the point about we spent a bunch of time getting to know each other before the acquisition. I mean, one of the reasons I was excited to actually do it is because I, I felt like we had similar values. Like, if you literally took Anchor's core values at the time and put them side by side with Spotify's core values. They weren't the same words, but they were they were kind of saying the same things. Mm-hmm. And um, and again, I spoke about the mission earlier, which which were also pretty similar and very rooted in in helping creators. So I felt good about, and, and by the way, like, you know, obviously spent a lot of time with people and felt that they were actually living and representing the, the mission and the values. So that was, that was, a, that was encouraging. And then when I got in there, I, I found, I found it to be true. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess a couple things I'll, I'll say. So, so one thing that was, that I found to be really cool. So in the earlier part of my career, I worked, um, in the music industry, mm. I worked at, uh, Atlantic records and, the thing I felt about that label, it's 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 a really really old record label. It's like hey, what, one of the, what were you, you know, doing one there? of the original. What was your job? So I actually start I started there as a web developer. So all right, uh, let me go a little yeah, further back. Uh-huh. I, I was a CS grad, computer science. So I came out of school, coding, engineering for some consulting firms. Didn't like it. Like Would decided you that I didn't want to be an engineer. Uh, Delaware University of Delaware. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, decided that I didn't want to do that. I was like, I don't. I, I, mm-hmm. I understand how to program. I just got my degree, like whatever I'm working, but I, this is not sort of tapping into, uh, the more creative side of me that I, that I was just like much more, I was just much more passionate about music and art and creativity. And I was like, I gotta, I gotta get out of here. Uh, I was like, I'm going to go into music. I don't know how and, and where and what I'm going to do, but I'm going to get a job somewhere in music. And so I used my degree to get, uh, my foot in the door at Atlantic building all the artist websites. Wow, that's awesome. I was building websites for all the artists. Hmm. I ended up being there for about five years, um, running um, product innovation there at one hmm. point. But the thing I always loved about that place um, was like, there was a real passion and reverie and like respect for the artist and the hmm. creator. Hmm. Like everything was about the artist. Hmm. Um, the artist was like really put up on a pedestal and everything had to be about serving them and helping them. And, you know, and, and, and I loved that. And then I went into tech. Um, I went, you know, I, I got really into, um, I got really into the idea of technology because the, like I said, the iPhone launched and when the iPhone launched, I realized, Oh wow. Like software is a means of creativity. You can make something. And then with the tap of a button, you distribute it to millions of people. I want to be a part of that. So I went over there and I, you know, and I did the aviary thing, Adobe. I told you about that already. Yep. Yep. The cool thing about Spotify to get to your question was it was like this really cool combination of both the sort of, um, wide eyed, like we can change the world tech mm-hmm. side of the business mixed with the passion and respect for helping creators. Like it, it was a, it was a perfect blend for me of both. And that's what I loved about it when I first, I mean, still to this day. But when I first joined, I was like, oh, wow, this is a tech company, but it's also a music and content company. And like pe- people really care about the, the content and the media and like getting it to the fans. Like, 
Well, and, and really I, I, I want to just like jump in and like, because, you know, if sure. I, I remember when I first got on Spotify and, you know, it was this yeah. you know crazy app that had come out of Europe um, and it wasn't even available in the U S but I had a friend that, you know, hooked right. me up or something and I got an, yeah. Right. Like, yeah. yeah. Right. And, um, and it was, it was like an amazing experience. It was Napster, except it was legal. And, you know, from the, yeah. right from the very beginning, there was that dichotomy between, you know, content wants to be free. And I remember I was super angry with Metallica and, you know, their whole vibe. Um, but, yep. you know, Daniel, I think always did have that respect for artists and that artists need to eat and, you know, need to be fed. And that, you know, if you just take their content, and you don't find a way to remunerate them, then they won't be able to, and then they won't make more Not stuff. Yeah. Right. So I, I just want to like sort of put put the listener kind of back into the mindset of where this stuff came from. And it, like I find it so interesting that there's so much angst about, and I think it's 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 valid, you know, in in some respects. And I just I don't know what the when you try to democratize things in such a way, I don't know how the economics ultimately even out, but in the sense that um, Spotify does pay artists. Some, of course, will argue that it's not enough, um, but it's more than Napster. And so there's some argument to be had there. But so I, I guess I'm just sort of wanting to build upon the uh, your, your, your premise and the credibility of the suggestion that even though it comes from a tech kind of background, which is kind of all about automation and kind of, you know, reducing the human element, that that actually wasn't part of Spotify's kind of origin story, at least as I read it. No, yeah, you're, you're totally right. I mean, and, you know, Daniel himself was a musician. And yeah. um, like you said, like everyone loved Napster. Everyone loved, um, you know, what, how I forget what was the, what was the thing that BitTorrent that everyone yeah, was doing yeah. like after Napster, the original but bit I think thing. Spotify, mm-hmm. Yeah. Like Spotify had the realization that, Hey, this is not sustainable. This is not, this is not good. Mm-hmm. And the only way you're going to be able to compete with, with free is if you actually make it better and better means not just a great consumer experience, but better means a great experience for creators and helping creators get paid. I mean, Look, people can knock streaming all they want, but look at, you know, there's a, there's a very easily viewable chart on the internet that shows like recorded music revenues over the past 20 years. And mm-hmm. streaming has been, you know, not just Spotify, Spotify, Apple Music, all of them transformative for the revenue paid out. Well, creators. it's really come so, back. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, yeah. and also we, it's, we, we, it's bigger than it's ever been. We need to give them credit for the fact that people were trying to crack this egg forever. Like, I think on the Internet History Podcast, I talked to, one of the founders of Rhapsody or whatever, like even the Napster folks, even there's that, that, that great video of um, Sean Fanning and Parker talking about how is this is going to be on your phone someday. And it's going to be, everyone knew this was going to happen. It's just that you were dealing with essentially, I think I said in the book, like a mafia that wouldn't let you do it. So Spotify should get, way more credit than they are getting at this point. Oh, of course, this is the way it was going to be. Everyone could see it. Yeah, except for the fact that 30 to 50 different startups tried to make it happen and didn't, and Spotify yeah. did. So, Yeah. yeah. So, so that was one thing I felt when I got there to answer your, mm-hmm. your original question, Chris. <laughs> right. And then, yes. you know, there, there were... Uh, I mean, when I, when I like look back and I reflect about what I learned, what I, what I went through, um, you know, when I joined there, I was, um, you know, I was, I was running a team of 25 or something and I was very much like a startup founder. Like I knew how to get a lot done with a little and how to move a team really fast. Um, you know, when you're a small startup, speed is kind of your, your advantage. You can be nimble. You can, 
Um, but I think, you know, one of the things I learned how to do in my time there, which I, I really appreciate that I had the opportunity was, Hey, how do you get like big, really big things done with really big teams of people? You know, it, 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 it almost sounds like it's going to be easy when you're at a big company, you could just get these big things done, but you realize there's a lot you have to learn about operating and communicating cross-functionally with, in some cases, hundreds or thousands of people. It's, it's a completely different muscle. Mm-hmm. And so that was something that I had to learn. And it took me, it took me a lot of time, to be honest. Um, that was something cool that I, that I was able to do that I'm, I'm, I'm really happy I had that experience. I mean, another thing you asked about, like, how did it change over the years? I mean, well, naturally, something that we went through that everyone else went through was COVID. <laughs> and, you know, shifting to a dynamic work environment, that, that, that was a pretty interesting uh, experience. I, I, again, I think for, for everyone, um, you know, figuring out how to, how to manage a team, a, a big team remotely. Like you, you, you know, there's so many things that you change about how you work when you're, when, when it shifts to that, right. You go from lots of sort of in-person communication meetings to more of a memo culture, like writing a lot, like learning how to write, like learning how to write long pieces, you know, sort of for communication. Lots of, you know, one thing that that Spotify has uh, internally is uh, its own employee podcasting like tools or capabilities. And I don't know specifics about it, but, you know, in the context of remote work, I'm curious, like you're talking a lot about writing and, you know, words in that sense. Was there any kind of audio element to this as well? Or was that totally separate? Um, there, there are some, you know, there are some employees that have, that have podcasts and I think I've used them as a way to, to communicate more broadly. That, mm. That's not something I did. Um, okay. I think I just, I focus more on trying to write more like long form. Mm-hmm. I, so actually, uh, little, uh, <laughs> Chris, Chris has been kind enough for the listeners who are listening. Chris has been kind enough to read this like long piece that are, that I'm not, <laughs> I, I, I may or may not publish. Uh, I it, see but, that. That's kind of where that came from. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, like I never wrote like that before I worked at Spotify. I think working at Spotify and going through COVID was a thing that helped me to be a better communicator, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the other thing, again, and I don't necessarily think this is unique to me but or to Spotify, but working and managing a team remotely, I mean, it teaches you how to be extremely intentional with your time, right? Um, because you could just sit on Zooms all, all day. day long. 100%. <laughs> uh, and that could, that could burn you out. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I learned a lot and I, I definitely, I had a, I had a great experience. Um, so why, why, like, I, I guess, I left, yeah, 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 I was going to say, so why, so why, why, did, why did you leave? <laughs> and I want to make sure we have time to get into some of the web three future media stuff too. So yeah, sure. what, what brought about that decision? Yeah. I mean, look, um, I, I have lots of interests. Um, I've always been a person that has my hand in, in, in multiple things. And um, I've gotten really into angel investing. I've really enjoyed it. And, um, you know, I've always, my whole career has been about trying to empower people. So when I was at Atlantic, you know, I, I view that as like on a very, very small scale, helping a, a small number of people to be creative. Aviary was very much about helping people be creative, but on a much larger scale with the photos and, and you know, and the, the mobile editing. And then Anchor, obviously, is about helping people be creative. I have actually really enjoyed over these past couple of years um, working with startup founders because I loved being a startup founder. I feel like I learned a ton. I feel like, you know, I can, I feel like occasionally 
I may actually have something I can be helpful with. And so I had this opportunity, which I can't, I can't share specifics of yet, unfortunately, but I had this opportunity to, to do it full time. And, um, I said, you know what, I've been doing anchor for, you know, eight, nine years. Um, the team is in a great place right now. Um, I think the team has never been better. I think the strategy is in a great place. I think Spotify is in a great place. Um, let me try something new because, you know, we only get, we only get so many years to, mm-hmm. to, to do interesting things in our lives. And just ready for, the new cha- for a new chapter. Real talk. 52% of men over 40 experience some form of ED between the ages of 40 and 70. But it's always been a taboo topic. Thankfully, HIMSS is changing that by providing affordable access to ED treatment all online. HIMSS provides access to clinically proven generic alternatives to Viagra and Cialis, up to 95% cheaper with options as low as $2 per dose. The process is simple and 100% online. No uncomfortable doctor's visits. Answer a series of questions on their site and a medical provider will determine the right treatment option. If prescribed, your medication ships directly to you for free and in discreet packaging. No insurance needed. Pay one low price for your treatments, online visits, ongoing shipments, and provider messaging. Hims has hundreds of thousands of trusted subscribers, so if ED is getting you down, it's time to change that. Start your free online visit today at hims.com ride. That's H-I-M-S dot com slash ride for your personalized ED treatment options. HIMSS.com slash ride. Prescriptions require an online consultation with a healthcare provider who will determine if appropriate. Restrictions apply. See website for details and important safety information. Subscription required. Price varies based on product and subscription plan. Guys, we don't have to choose between hair growth and our health. Nutrafol's drug-free, whole-body approach promotes hair growth from within. No compromises, just better hair. Nutrafol is the number one dermatologist-recommended hair growth supplement brand with over 1 million people seeing thicker, stronger, faster-growing hair with less shedding. With Nutrafol, building a hair growth routine is simple. Purchase online, no prescription or doctor's visits required. Free shipping and automated deliveries ensure you'll never miss a day. See results in three to six months. While many supplements rely solely on ingredient studies, Nutrafol clinically tests final formulations to ensure their efficacy. In a clinical study, 84% of men showed improvement in their hair after six months taking Nutrafol's men's hair growth supplements. Take the first step to visibly thicker, healthier hair for a limited time, Nutrafol is offering our listeners $10 off your first month subscription and free shipping when you go to Nutrafol.com men and enter the promo code RIDEHOME. Find out why over 4,500 healthcare professionals and hairstylists recommend Nutrafol for healthier hair. Nutrafol.com men, spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com men, and enter promo code RIDEHOME. Got it. That makes sense. Okay. So yeah. I'm not going to assume that you went to Andreessen Horowitz, uh, although they hire everybody <laughs> these days and they seem to employ 10,000 people. Um, so I'll, I'll leave that as speculation, but, um, talk to us about, about the future of media as you see it, you know, as you're, as you're leaving sure. Spotify, I know obviously, you know, anchor, um, is this great tool that you've used to kind of democratize, uh, you know, one of the things that, that people talk about, of course, is product market fit, but I think that there's a whole yeah. other aspect of this, which is not just based on kind of economics and, and, and money, but it's also sort of content and medium, um, fit. And, 
I think, yep. right? So, so in some ways you kind of took what people were already, you know, likely going to be doing with voice notes and voice memos and phone calls and things like that. And you use that medium as a, as a way to sort of broadcast out to a broader unknown audience, unseen audience, um, where you didn't, you know, it's funny when I was, when I was working on, um, the share box on Google plus, one of the things that I always was thinking about was sort of thinking about the audience and whether you knew who you were talking to or writing to when you were creating a new post. You know, and this is a problem, of course, that Twitter has to solve and Facebook had to solve. But, you know, when you send an email, you start by thinking about who you're actually sending the email to and then you write the email. Whereas in social media, mm. you start with a post and then you think about, well, is there an audience for this? And do I need this to be private or is it public? And so in a right. similar way, you know, I think you did the same thing with audio content. It was sort of like, let's allow people to create that audio content and then the audio content through the internet, you know, it'll find its audience. Um, but, but let's talk about, you know, uh, the future of media when it comes to all the stuff that's been going on with it, with Web3 and just maybe lay out some of your thoughts about where we're at and where this is going to go. Sure. So I should caveat all this by saying, like, I am by no means uh, a Web3 expert. There are lots of really, really smart people on the Internet writing lots of, you know, lots of think pieces. And well, even if we step back from whatever Web3 or, or how we define it might be, right, I think you have a unique perspective where you can almost kind of take away all of the assumptions or baggage, right? Like, you know, like you did with RSS and say, where are things that where there's still friction? How can we evolve, you know, the mediums using, you know, let's say blockchain as an enabler or something like that? Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think it's actually really interesting that you mentioned RSS, and that's actually an analogy. I- I've been thinking about Web3 and RSS as an analogy quite a bit, and I- I- I'm actually interested to learn more. I mean, maybe one of the things I hope comes out of this is, if, you know, if there's somebody that's 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 listening that knows Web3 really well, and, you know, when you hear what I'm about to say, like, if you have thoughts on it, please, please let me know. Um, I'm trying to learn and, and be smarter on it. But so I love the promise of Web3 of decentralizing um, data, right? Data portability. Like one of the big promises of Web3 that I find fascinating and great is that my data can can live on a, and your data and all of our data and in interacting with a platform can live on a decentralized blockchain that belongs to no one, right? It's not belong to the big corporation. Yep. Uh, it doesn't, be- sorry, it doesn't belong to the big corporation. It belongs to no one. It's just decentralized, which means it can follow me wherever I go. I think that's an amazing um, promise of Web3. One of the things, you know, I, I haven't heard anyone talk about really, and I'm curious about it. Right? Like I'm trying to under, I'm trying to wrap my head around if this is a problem or not, is that if you, if you decentralize everything and you basically put a bunch of data on a, on a, on a blockchain and then the platforms all and the products all build around that data, I wonder if you actually end up with a ton of fragmentation like we had in podcasts. Mm. Yep. So we talked yep. about RSS, how like the, the data and the content, it's, it's technically not decentralized, right? Like, when, you know, Brian, when you were hosting, you know, an RSS feed back in 2014, mm-hmm. it probably lived on your website or maybe feed burner or something. But you can imagine that like if that data lived on a decentralized blockchain and you know, everyone said, okay, this is what a podcast is. These are the fields, you know, these are the data fields. These are the components of a podcast. You probably get the same thing that we saw with RSS where you get these, you know, thousands of uh, bespoke podcast apps that you mentioned, Chris. And, um, now, now imagine that happens for literally everything on the internet, right? Like 
every type of media, whether it's a song or an album or an article or a movie or a film or a TikTok style video, whatever. Do you just end up with basically a ceiling for the level of innovation that can happen because everyone has to conform to a standard right now, any product that needs to be built has to conform to a standard and it's impossible to build anything that goes beyond that standard uh, because there, there won't be any support for that on the blockchain. Are you talking about sort of um, about like so the staleness of, of formats? Exactly. Sort of like, okay. Mm-hmm. I, exactly. It, that's kind of exactly what I'm talking about. Like mm-hmm. I wonder, I wonder if 15, 20 years down the like line, like we stopped we involving with formats a- with, you know, the GIF format, which is how Brian pronounces it in 1989 when okay. the format Why came you, out yeah. <laughs> or, or if we stopped with SMS <laughs> and we didn't get to MMS, right? Because it was all on the exactly. blockchain, then it becomes this massive coordination problem where trying to upgrade exactly. the formats is actually a, a huge headwind. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, yeah. I, 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 I want to push back real quick <laughs> on GIF or GIF. No, well, kidding. yes. Remember, every time I, I do that in a story, I pronounce it both <laughs> ways every time just to cover my base. <laughs> he wants you I know to be you guessing. Do. I know. You're, you're, <laughs> yeah. guessing. Okay, here, here's, here's my pushback. Um, yeah, please. And by the way, from, like I said, I, yeah. this is less of an opinion and more just like a question. Like, what happened? Well, yeah, and, and, and this is. Hopefully, I'm going to grasp towards a larger thing, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start with the podcasting angle because, again, you know, since I started my fund and I'm a well-known podcaster, I've gotten a whole bunch of Web3 podcast pitches. There's people in the audience. God bless you. Uh, I love you all. Yes. That um, and and please reach reach out to Mike because apparently, even though um, I might have not worked with you, he 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 clearly is is thinking about things right now. But for podcasting, the Web3 thing. I've not heard anything that makes any sense to me because again, this is where mm. I make my living and there's nothing that anyone's ever pitched me. That's like, Oh my God, that's going to make my life easier. That's going to make things better. And what you're talking about is the portability of things. Like in a sense, podcasting is still the dream of the nineties alive because as we've discussed, I was able to take my RSS feed to anchor and away from anchor. Like it's yeah. almost, yeah, that's it, true. It, it is almost like, uh, uh, ho- you know, what's the what's so the thing? You like that- the portability, so yeah, because can, yeah, so you know yeah, how people sure. are like, well, you can always host your own website, you can always host your own email server and things like. No one wants to do it, um, but I don't know that it's that. But so, it, it, and also, I'm going to bring up the 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 Mark Andreessen thing on Tyler Cohen's podcast, where he Tyler was literally asking him about how Web three could make podcasting better oh uh, and and mark was like well because we can no one's going to tell us what to say no one's going to tell us what to say already right so now uh, let me frame it this way i haven't heard a pitch and i've heard dozens of them for web3 and podcasting nothing in in the sense of well put it on the blockchain does that make it better it doesn't however what you were sort of hinting at which is but would that sort of portability that I just described be better for other mediums, right? Where they have been captured by these platforms that don't let you take your stuff and, and go somewhere else. Yeah. I think the trade-off is going to be portability versus innovation, right? Like, sorry, Chris, mm-hmm. it sounds like you were about to say something. Uh, well, I mean, I also wanted to hear, um, you know, your response, but I just, I, I, I wanted to jump in on this point because I think there's an, it's, it's so easy to conflate yeah. a number of things here. And it's also easy to get, I think, lost or stuck applying today's models to kind of what you think this new 
totally. I don't know, like emergent totally paradigm agree. might lead to, right? So uh, Tanner, who's in the audience, uh, mentioned uncut.fm, and they're sort of moving towards, um, I guess, let's see, kind of tokenizing communities, right? So that's one thing you buy the NFT and now you have access to like limited stuff. Like, okay, that's like one direction. I think, Mike, what you're pointing to is a little bit different um, about the expression of content and media in the stuff that is stored on the blockchain specifically. Now, of course, you could have kind of adjacent content through, let's say, like IPFS or something where you're storing files all over the place and they're just like references and maybe the files themselves can be updated or improved or more metadata can be added over time um, and they can be embellished in some other way. I don't think we're talking specifically about storing podcast files on the blockchain, although, you know, we can imagine that happening as well. Those are two different kind of ways to think about this. I think like one of the questions has to be, just like we rely on kind of, I guess, you know, Apple, um, you know, and some other big podcast indexers to, you know, it's sort of a, what is it? It's a, a relay where you publish your podcast file and then it kind of fans out to mm-hmm. all the sort of subscribers of those things. If we were to have this globally readable and writable database of public content, the question, one of the questions is, what are the formats uh, and how do you define the, con- the, the formats of yep. the data that is being stored? Once you have sufficient amounts of data that is marked up or in a certain schema, what then can you do with that data? And then if you go even further down the field, when you have enough of that data that's out there, that's of substantial or significant interest to enough people, what other types of embellishment or experiences or augmentations could occur through that kind of innovative, uh, I like you think about it kind of as like raw material, like the raw material of this data that you're talking about would enable a lot of different people to develop new types of software or technology or experiences or content or creativity. Uh, although potentially let me pause. And then there's a second part, which we don't know how to think about, which is around licensing, privacy, access, um, you know, copyright, Right. Because there are ideas with smart contracts where, you know, if I listen to your podcast, you get a penny or whatever it is, sort of like decentralized Spotify. Um, The reality is that I haven't seen a lot of that work. And I don't know to what degree creators are actually getting paid for their NFTs when they're being flipped multiple times and how many times an NFT has to flip in order for there to be a meaningful amount of income sort of residuals, you know, to the original artist Um, without having a centralized body that's kind of doing that work and counting all the transactions. Yeah. So anyways, I've been going for a while, but like, I just, I think it's important yeah. to separate some of those there, things. No, and they're all valid enable. questions. I think, I mean, something you mentioned in the air in the, in the, in the end there is like uh, another thing that I've been thinking a lot about. I mean, you, you mentioned, Hey, there are, there are already a number of these sort of, um, you know, decentralized Spotify's or, you know, whatever you, what, however you called it. Right. Yeah, exactly. Like, like royal.io is, like, is, is, is an example. You know, mm-hmm. to me, that makes actually a lot of sense because if you think about it, if you're a creator, you know, what, what do you want more than anything else? You want to reach. You want to reach new people, right? And so naturally, you're going to gravitate to the platform where you can get the most reach. And so I think platforms like this are inevitably going to have a bit of a chicken and egg problem where, you know, the value that they're advertising to the creator can't really be fulfilled upon unless they have a critical mass of consumers. Um yeah, I don't. I don't know. Like uh, as I as I'm saying these things out loud, it's triggering all sorts of other questions. And I think that was kind of your point. Like there are many questions to unpack here. Um, you know. The, but anyway, yeah. It's, web, web two yes. for for whatever else it did, it it solved reach like nothing else in history. It literally is sure. 
the thing that, that made Web 2 Web 2, right? It, it, it's the distribution, it's the reach, it's all that stuff. The, no, my problem with Web 3 is that thus far, I don't see a similar sort of aha moment with that, where it, from, from day one with freaking Flickr, it was all about like allowing anybody in the universe to see your pictures and blogging and all that stuff. And then the, the problem with Web3, again, you know, if, if we're going to have this sort of debate is um, a lot of what Web2 was was simplifying things. Again, people don't want to run their own servers, don't want to run their own email. They, like, you want to put all that underneath a layer that simplifies it. And so there's two things. In Web3, at least, again, I'm going through the lens of podcasting, but maybe all media, I don't see how Web3 has... The, the distribution and reach thing that Web2 has. And for sure, Web3 has not solved the make it simple enough that my mom wants, <laughs> what, it can use it. Totally, totally. Let me, let me jump before I hear from Mike, because I want to sort of set you off mm. with two things. One is that yesterday, Adam Asseri has announced now that, of course, Instagram is moving forward with NFTs. And mm-hmm. apparently, as of today, mm-hmm. Facebook mm-hmm. now has a tab mm-hmm. on your profile to list your NFTs. Oh, wow. So the Web2 companies are starting to support like the representation and display of some of these types of assets. Now, the thing that I want actually, Mike, you to talk about is Passport. Specifically, mm-hmm. there's Stratechery and there's Dithering. And of course, that is a decentralized approach to providing tokenized access to essentially private podcast feeds. And I got to say, like the experience was a little difficult. Uh, and yet, I, like one, I was super impressed that Spotify actually went down that path and used OAuth and kind of set up this thing that allows independent publishers to essentially put a paywall up against their content and then to have Spotify distribute that content, but then support a native kind of checkout experience in that. So I guess what I'm what I'm seeing is that that's almost like a web 2.5 kind of solution where there's a two point a 2.0 style app, I'll call it Spotify, providing access to content that is kind of private and hosted um, and you know premium on a third party context. And I don't know if you have any anything to do with that, but I imagine you at least have some insights into how that kind of came about. I think it's super relevant to this discussion, actually. It's, it's, uh, it's, a, it's an interesting reference that you bring up. I mean, what that is doing and what, what Ben Thompson's passport does is it's kind of exactly what we're talking about with Web3, right? He's basically saying, like, the, the, the identity of the user is detached from the platform and it can move from platform to platform. So if you're listening on, you know, if you want to listen or read on com, great. But then if you want to go listen on Spotify, great, you can listen there as well. And I, and that's the part of actually when I hear this proposal for web three and media, I get super excited. I'm like, Oh my God, this makes so much sense. Like now I don't have to worry about having these siloed identities and these siloed pieces of personal information locked up in these centralized databases that can just sort of travel. But again, like as more and more of the actual media starts to end up decentralized as well, I just keep coming back to this fundamental question of, okay, well, what is, what is the 15 to 20? year implication of this like the, the, does the format basically get stuck and do we just end up with these yeah. sort of like dumbed down versions of media that can't evolve at a certain point um that's like that that's my concern that i, I just don't know if anyone it's, it's sort of it, it becomes like satellite 
junk, right? Like space junk. <laughs> Essentially, the debris of the first era of Web3 yeah, exactly. would be all this shit from all these NFTs that are stupid and dumb, you know, <laughs> that people put there and paid $200 in gas fees. And we're going to go back and be like, wow, this is what we chose to put there? Yeah, like a bunch know. of butts and whatever, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, not that that's a problem. I yeah. mean, it's, it's the internet all the way down. Exactly. Yeah. So, so I mean, is there an area of this that you're interested in like working on? Um, obviously I know you can't sort of reveal I, what you're I mean, specifically going towards next, but I'm, I'm generally a person that gravitates towards consumer facing products, right? Like I'm, yeah. I, you know, yeah. Brian, I think it was you, Brian, that said like, what's the thing that like my mom or, you know, if this thing is not ready for my mm. mom to use, I actually think about that with web three all the time. I'm like, mm. my mom wouldn't know how to do any of this stuff. Like I have a friend who was texting me a few weeks ago. She's like, I'm trying to buy an NFT. I'm like, I cannot figure this out. I cannot mm. figure out how to set up my MetaMask <laughs> wallet and like buy the, you know, buy the ETH on Coinbase and then transfer Like, so I, I think until problems like that get solved. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think a lot of this technology is ready for prime time. I tend to gravitate towards consumer products that are stupidly easy for people to use. You know, aviary, I think was that kind of product. It was like, anyone could do this. Anchor is obviously tries to be that in a way, or at least in the beginning, that's what we were really going for. Like, Hey, anyone can start a podcast. So I'm really attracted to products like that. I mean, you know, I'll give you an example of a product that, that I love. Um, let's see like universe. Have you seen the universe? Yeah. It's a mm-hmm. website builder. Like you it's can basically universe.com, right? Yeah. I think it's on universe.com. Um, oh, okay. It's basically like domain, yeah. Squarespace, but on your phone, like you can make a fully yeah. feature rich website. It's like blocks. Yeah, exactly. I yeah. love things like that mm-hmm. like because I think they, mm-hmm. they lead to new forms of creativity. They lead to people doing things that they previously weren't able to do. They, in many cases, create new markets, right? Like I think in many ways, anchor sort of expanded the market of podcasts. I'm interested, um, in other products that can do that. I'm also, um, Chris, you and I were texting a little bit about this. I, I've recently become fascinated with this notion of encryption being like a, mm-hmm. like a consumer centric feature. And here's what I mean by yeah, that. Unpack that. Like ex- explain yeah, yeah. Yeah, your thoughts about that. Here's what I mean by that. Obviously encryption has been around forever, um, to various degrees and mm-hmm. in, you know, all, all different types of applications at different sort of, um, places within the stack. Um, but I feel like it's moving up to almost like the consumer layer or like the presentation layer where it's actually something the consumer cares about. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to figure out why that is. And I, I have a suspicion. I think it's, I think it comes, I think it's, I think it's sort of rooted in this growing distrust of institutions in society. I mean, mm-hmm. this is more anecdotal, but I feel like more and more every day I see more of my friends using signal. I don't know if it's the same with you guys or in your circles. Yeah. Like I'm talking to more and more people on signal or an encrypted WhatsApp chats. And if you ask any of these people, I don't even know if there's a specific fear they could pinpoint. It's like, you know, I'm sure they don't think, you know, the government's watching them. Are they going to be hacked? But it almost feels like some hedge towards the future. Right? Like well, what also, might happen in the future? I mean, that's, that's, that's a little bit of privilege because people, <laughs> people have been afraid of, of people listening in all the time. It's just yeah. that I, I, I'm with you because I, I'm hearing more people talk about VPNs for their, I'm totally I'm just, I'm just a, a, a middle-class person with a house and some kids, and I want a VPN. And like even two, three years ago, because <laughs> VPN advertisers are huge on podcasts, like I always yeah, felt like no are. one That's wants true. this. 
And <laughs> and now I feel like that's one of the things that has become mainstream, you know? hundred percent. And then something happened over the past week. I don't know if you guys saw it, but I was fascinated by it. With the Supreme Court or? Well, yes. I, I mean, obviously else. that happened, right? Which was, which mm-hmm. I, I thought was absolutely horrifying and terrible. Um, but then what happened as a result was, um, you know, there, there's an app uh, called Stardust, which is, you know, uh, there, there's a big category oh, yes. of women's mm-hmm. health apps that help women track their periods, and their menstrual cycle. Um, this app, Stardust, which is, an, you know, an end-to-end encrypted uh, privacy-first uh, period tracker app, shot up to number one in the app store. Like, literally the mm-hmm. number one app in the U.S. And again, back to this notion of, you know, growing mistrust of institutions. I don't know. Like I'm seeing all these things happen. This VPN thing that you mentioned, Brian signal, um, you know, stardust, the app go to number one. It feels to me like encryption and privacy is, is going to be at the forefront of a lot of consumer products over the next couple of years. Let me, so, so I think this is, this is a, a super interesting direction, right? Because on the one hand there, on the one hand, like there's this enablement, that encryption offers, yes. um, which is a type of, you know, privacy, right? And privacy to some degree is the ability to be let alone um, in, in, in some contexts. And the interesting thing about the democratization of media means that now you have the ability to publish publicly yeah. that in which anybody in the world could see or hear what you have to say. The problem with that, though, is that there is an extreme context collapse that happens as a result of that new capability. And so the judgments or the cultural mores or the laws or other types of prohibitions that exist in other places that don't apply or are not relevant to the place where you happen to be now suddenly make you vulnerable to be judged or critiqued or to be vulnerable to those types of uh, evaluations that make sense perhaps in other contexts. And so suddenly you need the ability to actually claw back some of that context collapse. And encryption is a way where you kind of put this cloak around everything that you do. And then you can then hand out the keys to those people or those contexts which you feel safer or where there's some sense of, you know, protection or inviability or like to not be violated, you know? So like, like a really good use case for this started out being about just saving money, which is that I want to be able to watch Netflix and I don't have to pay for it. So we're going to share passwords. And then maybe I'm in another country and, you know, uh, there's only one of my friends who has a credit card. And so therefore I need a VPN to like, you know, log in to some other country or something. And I've heard about this use case recently. Um, But then over time, through that exposure of using a VPN for that commercial purpose, you start to become a little bit more curious about, well, how does this even work? And what is this for? And then perhaps that does lead you down this road of, you know, thinking about encryption, especially around messaging and conversation. And then you get to the, like, essentially what's amazing about crypto and, um, you know, blockchain technology and web three stuff is that it basically is private key pair encryption, which has been around forever, you know, PGP, but was never in a form that was usable by end users. And now it's come to the point where there is enough products out there and there was enough kind of other activity around it that it's become more acceptable. So I'm very interested, I guess, and I'm wondering how you saw this, um, you know, whether that's, you know, Spotify or elsewhere of whether there's a a growing kind of awareness from a younger generation that grows up with these things and with these experiences that they reset the baseline of how this stuff actually works in practice in the marketplace. I don't, I don't know, to be honest. I mean, on one hand, I would say, uh-huh. like, it seems like with a lot of younger generations, pu- public is often the deep. Well, I don't know. Actually, as I'm saying, and I take it back, I mean, I'm thinking about 
TikTok and I'm thinking, you know, about how it feels like the younger generation is so used to this sort of public form of expression. On the other hand, as I say it, um, you know, I feel like there's also a ton of direct messaging that go, I mean, I think it's pretty common knowledge at this point, you know, lots of people have their, you know, their public accounts on TikTok and Instagram, whatever, yep. and their private accounts, right? So they're Finstas. Yeah, they're, exactly. Mm-hmm. The Finst, Finstagram, mm-hmm. right? Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, I'm not actually sure. I, I, th- this is kind of why I'm so interested by it, because it feels like this unique sort of dichotomy that's sort of unfolding in culture in real time. And it seems like the it, it, it can swing really quickly. I mean, the, the Roe v. Wade thing is a perfect example. I mean, this one. Oh my God! I mean, like, right? Yeah. Like, I, I wasn't. You know, I, I woke up that day and refreshed NewYorkTimes.com, and it's like, oh, ho- holy shit! Wait, what just happened? Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it just things like it feels like things are moving so fast that culturally can be so broadly impacted so quickly. Um, I don't know. I'm curious to see, but it, it, it's interesting that you brought up blockchain. That was another example I forgot to mention. You know, there are obviously people in lots of places in the world where um, it's actually not easy to, to send money because of you know government oversight or you know it's hard to to get access yeah. to financial financial institutions. And Bitcoin can be a an incredibly liberating thing for people because of the you know the anonymity that that go, goes along with it. Obviously, that has downsides as well and. I'm sure people uh, in the U.S. are using Bitcoin for all sorts of nefarious reasons, but um, you know, there, there's also clearly a, a lot of potential for it as well uh, in, in, in other countries as well. So, we're being sponsored today by a company on a product that longtime listeners know I have used for years and cannot literally cannot live or at least work without it. One Password. One Password combines industry-leading security with award-winning design to bring private, secure, and user-friendly password management to everyone. Companies lose hours every day just from employees forgetting and resetting passwords. A single data breach costs millions of dollars. One Password secures every sign-in to save you time and money, any device, any time. One Password lets you securely switch between iPhone Android, Mac, and PC with convenient features like autofill for quick sign-ins. All you have to remember is the one strong account password that protects everything else. Your logins, your credit cards, secure notes, or the office Wi-Fi password. 1Password generates as many strong, unique passwords as you need and securely stores them in an encrypted vault that only you have access to. I started using 1Password, what, a decade ago? Join me and over 100,000 businesses on board the 1Password bandwagon. Because right now, my listeners get Get a free two-week trial at onepassword.com slash ride. That's two free weeks at the number one, the word password, all one word, dot com slash ride. Onepassword.com slash ride. Recently, the world learned the power of artificial intelligence, a technology cybersecurity leaders have been leveraging for years. Now, as AI expands and evolves, those same security leaders are left wondering where humans fit into the next generation of AI-empowered security tools and solutions. Arctic Wolf, the industry leader in managed security operations, seeks to answer this question in their newly published report, The Human-AI Partnership. Access the insights of over 800 cybersecurity decision makers in North America and the United Kingdom to better understand how organizations are weighing the benefits and risks of deploying AI tools. Uncover the biggest obstacles to turning AI and human engineers into a formidable team. Discover why the near-term benefits of large language models are being upended by a crucial flaw in the technology. 
and learn what the rise of AI tools mean for human practitioners moving forward. Get your copy today at arcticwolf.com slash techmeme. That's arcticwolf.com slash techmeme. I don't know. There's a, <laughs> there's a lot to unpack here. We, uh, but yeah. it's all pretty fascinating. I know, I know, Brian. I, I, yeah. I, I want to ask Brian, one question. One more and, question and for by us. By the way, sure. uh, okay. Michael, we should probably let you go since we've been going way longer than an hour at this point. No problem. This is fun. Uh, yeah, yeah, all good. It, let me... Uh, let me, this is for both of you. This is, this is poking at okay. something uh, Charlie Wurzel had a piece that was very critical of web three in uh, this week. Uh, I, I don't think I mentioned it on the show, but, um, one of the things that was in the piece that, that stuck with me was, uh, a web three founder, um, who said that, uh, I'm going to quote, and I realize there's a pattern here. I keep making things for that people don't want? What am I building things people won't use for free? About Web3 and the idea that, you know, will my mom use this and things like that? I'm curious, Mm -hmm. and again, this is for both of you. Is the tokenization sort of the thing that has fucked Web3 in the sense that if you come Mm -hmm. out with a product and you look for product market fit and you look for traction, um, that has to come from the end user. And then you had all these projects over the last few years that have tokens and the tokens take off. So people think that there's traction. And so that like the token and all the ancillary things around these Web3 projects fooled founders into thinking that, oh, my God, we're, we're going to the moon, everything. But no, but you didn't actually pay attention to the product. Do you know what I mean? Um, I'm just curious what you think about that, the idea that, you know, because, again, if we're in a winter again, obviously good things come out of winters and whatever. But, like, go back to basics and build something that people want to use. I was going to say, like, to Mike, like, if you could, if you restarted Anchor today, how or would, like, Web3 and tokens help you with a cold start problem? I don't think it would today <laughs> i'm being honest oh, interesting uh okay well i'm talking about actually in 2014 but okay no i mean well even if we started it today like if, even if it was 2022 and we yeah. started anchor again I, I don't think it would i mean because again like i, I went we huh. went through this with rss and i actually found it to be mm. problematic i found it to be great and problematic at the same time and so you know if web3 would basically be another version of you know, uh, effectively, let's just call it sort of an open standard. I, I know it's a little bit more nuanced and different than that. Again, like I, I, I keep coming back to this notion of like, do you, you, you hit this ceiling in, in innovation, innovation and product development. So I'm not sure that it actually would help us. I do think the point you make, Brian, is really interesting. Like are, it was your point that we just came out of this bull market um, where people were going absolutely nutso for anything crypto and therefore, like getting involved with any project meant you could just by default effectively be speculating on the token that was associated with it. And in many cases, just start making money because you're you're working on these projects. Is is that your point? And that now we're going to this winter. Well, that like, that and and it fooled people into thinking like, look at all of a sudden, yeah, yeah. right? Our, our market cap is five billion dollars because of our token, right? Versus, did you get that because people are buying your product? Because right. people are adopting right. your product, right? So right, so 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 the the incentives for building products during this crazy crypto boom was just pure coin speculation. Well, it was not, almost hey, let's build something almost, of value. 
it was all good ideas. And by the way, right. that's that's the capitalist fantasy world where it's just all good ideas and everybody with a good idea gets rich or whatever, except for the fact that the cold reality is to make money, even good ideas can fail. Totally. Totally. And then, you know, the but money, so, the money so, boss, it turns off and it's like, oh, mm-hmm. OK, you know, all, it's all it's all, I don't know, gobbledygook or something. You know, it's like, where, where's where's the real product? You know? But I think that that's one of the, the the real challenges about this moment and about what we've just gone through is that there was so much false signal about what was good and what was working. And the thing, you know, was sort of like an Aurora Boris and it was just eating itself until it ran out of itself and it could no longer eat itself. Right. And so therefore there was a crash. And I think, you know, Brian, to your point, and, you know, I think in some ways this is a very good kind of moment to step back. And again, like Mike, to your point, like think about some of the fundamentals. What are the things that people are trying and wanting to do? Where is it hard and where's the friction? And there are, you know, there continue to be kind of these, you know, the way that I kind of think about some of this stuff sometimes is like, you need to have these, um, you know, like artists are one example of this, but you need to have random seeds in a, in sort of a sea of homogenation and conservatism because conservatism is a system for remembering things that work and then like trouncing the things that don't work so that when there is a winter and when the potato famine happens, you can still survive as a species. But, you know, we've gone through this period with a kind of abundance, thanks to the industrial revolution that allows us to be much more speculative with how to put out kind of the efforts of, of human kind of creativity. And so we kind of got ahead of ourselves with this financialization through Bitcoin and other types of, I guess, cryptocurrencies that allowed us to kind of just invent out of thin air currency that never existed before in a way that suddenly, uh, basically money was democratized. And it created this set of kind of consensual hallucinations that this is actually how it's supposed to work and how it's always going to be. And yet actually having um, kind of adversity is totally necessary to the process of creating real evolutionary, um, uh, I guess, well, I guess evolution. So I guess like what, what, what I'm sort of just imagining is like how putting economic motivation for getting people onto these platforms distorted uh, a lot of founders or creators sense of what was working as opposed to pe- people being intrinsically drawn to something for something that is much more innate and personal which is, you know, culture and art and a lot of the stuff that, you know, the mediums that we were talking about are necessary for. So if we think about what the content of the money, of the medium of money is, it's just capillary movement. It's the sort of movement of energy, whereas creating things that are interesting and impactful, that's sort of like the next wave that I think has to come from this that's enabled perhaps by some of these crypto things, but is not the thing itself. Well, maybe one great outcome then of what is happening right now, right? It's all sort of washing away. Uh, maybe, maybe that as a constraint will force people to really focus on the really powerful and beneficial use cases of web three that, that do provide new types of value. In other words, maybe this is a, maybe this is a good constraint for creativity inside of web three and like really forcing people to identify like what the true benefits of it are. Totally. All right, Mike, we're going to stop there. Where can people follow you? And if they want to figure out what you're up to next, when do they, when do they get a little hint about that? Uh, just, uh, I'm, I'm at McNano, which is my last name, M I G N A N O pretty much everywhere here on Twitter. I don't know anywhere else, LinkedIn, mm-hmm. Instagram, whatever. Uh, when will, when will mm-hmm. they find out? Uh, soon. <laughs> 
<laughs> sometimes <true. laughs> stay tuned well we will have to have yeah. you back uh when when you come out for with sure. that and when you've uh, figured out the whole purpose of web3 yeah this is, this great. is awesome thank you guys so much so great to uh to reconnect uh, yeah. for the first time in years publicly exactly <laughs> yes uh, right <laughs> yeah it's uh, good to talk to you again and um yeah excited to find out what you're about to do because i think you have a very interesting uh perspective and insight on on some angles here so thanks brian i appreciate that and and you guys do as well this is a really really thoughtful and fun conversation appreciate you guys having me